You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. The BC Legislature is back in session and the makeup of the chamber looks a lot different from back in May. That's right. The BC Conservatives now have official party status. And as Richard Zussman reports, there are now four official parties fighting for the attention and the support of voters. Bubbling political tensions boiling over. Parents are concerned about the sexualization of their children in this NDP government's education system. Will the minister admit that SOGI 123 has been divisive, an assault on parents' rights, and a distraction? The Conservatives, now an official party in BC for the first time in more than 50 years. Leader John Rustad using his platform to take aim at SOGI 123 and calling for the province to get rid of it. There are thousands of people taking to the streets. There are thousands of people protesting at school board offices. To, to feed the fires of division in our province and bring culture war to British Columbia, it is not welcome. The protests Rustad mentions largely have been overshadowed by counter events. Parents and educators supporting SOGI and the tools it provides to parents around understanding sexual education in classrooms. With the Premier's response met with an unprecedented reaction. A standing ovation for the Premier, not just from his own party, but much of the BC United Caucus as well. He sees political advantage in picking on kids and families and teachers and schools who are just trying to do their best. For kids who are at risk of suicide, Honorable Chair, shame on him. Choose another question. BC United has been struggling to gain momentum. Bruce Banman recently left the party to join the Conservatives. And the two parties are neck and neck in recent polls for second place. Kevin Falcon, the party's leader, trying to downplay the Conservative surge. The former colleagues of mine that now form the, the fledging uh, fourth party uh, in the House uh, are saying some things that are, you know, the kind of things, frankly, that I think disqualify you for being uh, credible leaders of, of government. You've got all three parties in the legislature fighting for the left side of the political spectrum. They have not, they aren't standing up for any other values. And in many issues, they're taking the same tact. We are going to present something very different to the public. Rustad accomplishing one thing, getting the attention for his party it so desperately seeks. Richard Zospin, Global News, Victoria. All right, we'll bring in Keith Baldry now for more on that rare standing ovation for a premier by an opposition party. Mm -hmm. Keith, uh, unfortunately, it wasn't caught on camera for technical reasons, but you could, you could certainly hear the applause that went on for more than 30 seconds. You sat in the house at that moment. Mm -hmm. What did you see? Yeah, quite an extraordinary spectacle. So Hansard Television cuts to the speaker's chair when anything weird starts going on in the house, whether it's loud heckling or prolonged applause. In this case, about 30 seconds of standing ovation. I've never seen a political opposition stand with the government and applaud a premier on a standing ovation unless it's some sort of motherhood issue, let alone a real political dynamite issue like Soji. But it's interesting sitting there how this standing ovation developed, considering the key roles some of the BC United players played here or in this case, did not play. So it started out with uh, Eleanor Sturko and Karen Kirkpatrick, the two MLAs in the Liberal, BC uh, Liberal United, or sorry, United Caucus, leading the applause and standing, and then the NDP standing. But those on the right there, you see them. Ellis Ross from Skeena, 
Ben Stewart from the Okanagan, Tom Shapika from the Kootenays, all BC United MLAs declining to stand while their colleagues stood up and applauded en masse for David Eby. I talked to Ben Stewart afterwards. He said he wasn't comfortable participating in this type of discussion. He says he still has a lot of unanswered questions about Soji. He says parents in his district do as well. So is this a schism between some members of BC United and their colleagues on the issues such as Soji? Is this another example of the tension that is bound to exist between the BC United caucus and two of their former colleagues who have either been expelled or left voluntary to join another party? This is just the first day. Seven more weeks lie ahead. I have a feeling we're going to see similar instances of drama like we saw today. And again, both the BC United and the BC Conservatives fighting for oxygen here, and they're fighting over the same pool of voters. Not clear which one's going to remove... Uh, emerge victorious. Could be a dynamic session for sure. Keith, thanks very much. Well, the province is planning to crack down on BC ferries by introducing penalties when sailings are cancelled due to staffing shortages. Aaron MacArthur is live with more on this. And Aaron, uh, the ferry service and its passengers have seen cancellations increase significantly in recent years. Yeah, you know, Sophie, a vast majority of ferries actually leave about when they're supposed to. Cancellations because of staffing shortages have increased this year by about a percentage point over the total, but it's made a huge impact. The government, in order to improve BC Ferries' performance, is using less carrot and more stick. Too often, the horn doesn't blow aboard a BC ferry. The number of cancelled sailings well documented over the past 18 months, an increasing number of those due to a lack of staff. The BC government now planning on making BC ferries pay for those situations. I want to make sure that uh, over the next four years uh, that we are able to hold them accountable by uh, having a new penalty system in place. A report from BC Ferries documents the extent of the problem. Between April 2022 and March 2023, 40% of all cancelled sailings were caused by crew shortages. 1,100 cancellations out of the 2,800 total. Critics of the government's plan wonder how finding an organization subsidized by taxpayers is a prudent decision. They're going to use the taxpayers' infrastructure to find the ferry system that they have taken control of so that they can, what, get our own tax money back? I mean, this is crazy. The penalties will amount to $7,000 per cancelled major route sailing and $1,000 for minor routes. The government also announcing that 1,400 sailings on those minor routes will be added to what is called the core service. The union representing ferry workers is questioning how those sailings will be staffed. Recruitment and retention continues to be a major issue for marine employers around the world. You know, there was a fair bit of hiring over the past year. Uh, now it's about keeping people and then upskilling them. So it's uh, it's easier to get people to walk in the door. It's harder to, to maintain and retain people. Part of the issue with staff shortages are the Transport Canada regulations on minimum crew sizes. One staff member calling in sick or missing a shift can result in several cancelled sailings affecting hundreds of travellers. The BC United Party is urging the government to focus on fixing those regulations rather than dipping their hands into their own cookie jar. The problem is they need to go to Transport Canada and say your inflexible staffing ratios are a big part of the problem. The framework of how the penalties will be enforced expected to be announced in the spring. 
Now, BC Ferries has gone on an extraordinary hiring spree. The company says they've hired more than 1,200 people in this last year alone. 136 of those are certified operators. Whether that makes a difference on crew shortage cancellations in the new year remains to be seen. Sophie, Chris. All right, thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur live at Tawasson Ferry Terminal. Now, there will be fare increases on BC ferries, but not as high as had been expected. The ferries commissioner had previously approved annual increases of 9.2%, with inflation, labor costs, and the price of fuel all putting pressure on the company's bottom line. But thanks to an injection of $500 million in provincial funding, the commissioner was able to bring those increases down to 3.2% annually between 2024 and 2028. BC Ferries is also required to give 15 days notice for any fare increases due to fuel surcharges or the removal or decrease of an existing rebate. Masks are once again officially required at BC healthcare facilities. The mandate coming back to increase protection as the fall respiratory season ramps up. But as Grace Key reports, some healthcare professionals say the measures have come too late and don't go far enough. The next time you walk into a healthcare facility, you'll have to put on a mask. It's now required for all healthcare workers, visitors, contractors, and volunteers in patient care areas now that the fall respiratory illness season is upon us. The people in hospital uh, and in congregate settings like long-term care are extremely vulnerable to the impact of COVID-19. We're seeing more cases. And so, uh, as Dr. Henry noted when she removed the mandate uh, in April, the requirement in April, that we'd be looking at it for a respiratory illness season, we are, and so I would expect everyone knows what to do here. Everyone who works in hospital knows what we're in mass. Uh, we're not expecting a problem. The BC Nurses Union supports the measure, but is concerned about enforcement. It is not the responsibility of nurses or other healthcare workers to police and enforce the policy. Uh, that, that responsibility uh, rests with the health authorities and the government. The mask mandate applies to patient care areas and healthcare settings owned and operated by the health authorities. It does not apply to family physicians, dentists, and private practitioners. So it should have been across the board because people don't just go to health, uh, health authority associate setting. They might go to the emergency and then they're told, go see your family doctor. So you're protecting them possibly in one setting and not in the other. It makes no sense. If you are visiting a loved one in a long-term care facility, you'll have to wear a mask in common areas and when participating in indoor events in communal areas. When I go and visit with my mom in her private room, close the door, I can now remove the mask and infect her. Because the other thing that this province doesn't understand is that about 60% of transmission is done by people that haven't had symptoms yet or will never develop symptoms. Protect Our Province BC believes masks should never have been removed from BC Healthcare last spring and the current mandate is too little, too late, with numbers already on the rise. Grace Key, Global News. Three people have been charged with first-degree murder in the November shooting death of a young man in Surrey. It happened on the night of November 2nd last year. 24-year-old Pavandeep Chopra was shot multiple times and died days later in hospital. Video surveillance released at the time shows three suspects converging on his Surrey home and then running away. 
three men in their 20s, Laskell Tyndall of North York, Ontario, Juan Pablo Segovia Sanueza of Brampton, Ontario, and Terry McDonald of Abbotsford have now been charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. The city of Calgary is hoping to poach police officers from B.C. with a recruitment drive in Metro Vancouver. Kamal Kuramali shows us how they're trying to lure people across the provincial border and whether Lower Mainland police are worried about the competition. Have you ever been on one of our information sessions? Here at this career fair in New Westminster, I'm Andy. one booth in particular seems to be exceptionally busy. Housing is considerably cheaper right now in Calgary. The Calgary Police Service here in Metro Vancouver looking for new recruits. I think cost of living is, is first and foremost for people. And they seem to have an advantage over local forces. House pricing is still somewhat affordable and that seems to attract people. Weather's better than here. And attract people, it did. I'd like to be able to afford a house inside the next 10 years. <laughs> because of the obviously housing crisis, we always kind of entertain the idea of moving to Calgary. Calgary Police Service says up to 20% of applications come from BC, the highest number outside of Alberta. But in the past year alone, it's seen a whopping 60 to 70% increase. All the recruiting from other provinces is common practice. It's coming at a time when there's a local push to hire more officers. The recent tug of war for staff between the Surrey Police Service and the Surrey RCMP. The Vancouver Police Department is the place to be. While VPD had put out a whole host of advertisements, but it denies having any trouble hiring new staff. We've hired 100 officers this year so far, and we expect to hire uh, a total of 175. Meanwhile, BC RCMP CMP says it's been very successful in finding new recruits, even seeing a significant increase in applications. Over the 12 to 18 months, we have sworn in close to 100 experienced officers. Alberta has thousands of jobs that we need to fill. It wasn't too long ago, Alberta put up an ad to entice BC residents to make the move. Always hiring. Here, though, it's not taking much convincing to head one province over, leaving the relationship between the police forces. A friendly rivalry per se. Actually, we're going to be going to Calgary at the end of this month to do a, a recruiting stint there as well. Competitive. Kamil Kuramali, Global News. Dealing with drivers who treat our roads like racetracks, with so many inexperienced drivers getting busted at extremely high speeds, some are calling for much bigger fines based on wealth. That's next on the News Hour. Last Halloween, we reloaded, like restocked the store eight times. The BC bakery that comes with a warning for its ghoulishly good treats. That's coming up later on the News Hour. And why you could soon see a lot more lime scooters in Metro Vancouver. Still to come. Right now, though, some breaking news out of West Vancouver, where police are responding to a serious industrial accident. It happened late this afternoon at Cypress Bowl. West Vancouver police say it appears some industrial equipment rolled onto a person, pinning them underneath. There's no word on the extent of their injuries. Officers remain on scene. And now the story of a new driver caught in North Vancouver going just shy of 200 kilometers an hour in an 80 zone has reignited the debate over increasing fines for speeding. Some are suggesting the penalty should be tied to the wealth of the owner of the car. But as Travis Prasad reports, the government isn't racing to change the law. 
A street racing Mercedes-Benz is clocked at 199 kilometers an hour Friday night on the Upper Levels Highway. The 19-year-old driver has a learner's license. He was ticketed for numerous offenses under the Motor Vehicle Act and his vehicle was impounded. The fines uh, roughly sum up to be about $1,500. Perhaps not enough of a penalty to keep him from putting the pedal to the metal again, says a Saanich councillor. Teal Phelps Bondaroff is calling for means-tested traffic fines. The more money a driver earns, the higher the fine. This ensures that we actually exert the same deterrent force on people. Because a $100 fine does not mean the same thing, does not have the same impact on someone who makes $30,000 a year compared to someone who makes $300,000 a year. Means-tested speeding tickets are used in several European countries. They're tied to disposable income and the level of speed involved. In Finland, NHL player Rasmus Ristolainen scored himself a $174,000 fine for driving twice the speed limit in 2019. This is a policy that's been adopted by countries like Finland, Denmark and Switzerland that have strong road safety records that are far better than British Columbia. But some fear it would disproportionately impact the average person while the wealthy find ways to conceal their true income. You could have this really bizarre scenario where someone is doing excessive speed and gets literally nothing, gets no fine because their income is, is at zero. In March, a Research Co. survey found 69% of British Columbians in favour of progressive punishment for speeders. It's not something that could be just done by the province. It would require us to negotiate with Ottawa, in particular Revenue Canada, to have access to the actual income of an individual, um, but uh, certainly open to it. Delegates at the Union of BC Municipalities convention last month submitted a resolution on the policy. Local governments expecting the province to respond in the coming months. I think the provincial government is right to be open to the policy, but I'd like them to be exploring it with earnest. Travis Prasad, Global News. A Vancouver man has now been charged with mischief after the city's Chinatown War Memorial was vandalized, along with other various cultural landmarks. The charges against Larry George Carlson stem from numerous examples of vandalism in Chinatown from January 4th to the 26th. His alleged actions are in violation of the Convention for the Protection of Cultural Property. And if he's found guilty, the maximum penalty is up to 10 years in jail. Just ahead, emergency supports stuck in limbo. Definitely broken. It's like the right hand doesn't talk to the left. How victims of climate-related catastrophes are still waiting for disaster assistance, in some cases two years later. And major damage to a Nanaimo jewelry store. How much thieves got away with? Busy but steady in both directions this evening over here at the Alex Fraser Bridge with plenty of leftover volumes still on the east-west connector between Knight and the S-curve. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Following the devastating floods and wildfires of the past few years, BC's ombudsperson is highlighting major problems with how emergency aid is distributed. As Cassidy Moscone reports, Jay Chalk is raising red flags about fair access to the emergency support services and disaster financial assistance programs. Chris Walton lost his home in the West Kelowna wildfires. At his lowest point, with nothing left, he went to the government's emergency support services for help. I ended up with no, with no help. We've been back there, you know, numerous times to try and sort it out and really 
nobody has an answer. Sadly, Chris's story is not unique. He's one of thousands. The disaster relief service is designed to help. Definitely broken. It's like the right hand doesn't talk to the left. Today, the BC Ombudsperson slammed the government programs as outdated, under-resourced and inaccessible. The whole system needs to modernise and uh, government needs to step up. The report examined BC's response to the devastating 2021 fire and floods, but said... The same things have happened again this summer. We saw wildfires across the province that were quite devastating. It's the same model of ESS. The report made 20 recommendations and the ministry has accepted every one of them. But the clock is ticking. The ombudsperson wants them all implemented by 2025. Having a plan for the future, having a new plan for how both of these programs will work is, is, is key. Secondly, working with Indigenous communities so that uh, those First Nations and the Métis Nation, British Columbia, that they adopt uh, uh, emergency self-management. Thirdly, uh, adopting an approach that doesn't rely anymore on, on uh, paper registration and long lines. The recommendations, however, are not a surprise to us. Uh, emergency management and climate readiness has already been working on solutions to a lot of the issues, but there absolutely is more to do. The time to act is now. So it is urgent that uh, the government take on the challenge of climate change. A challenge that has only just begun. Cassidy Mosconi, Global News. Given the current economic climate, it is no surprise more Canadians are feeling anxious about their finances. The impact of those high interest rates is causing many consumers to carry large amounts of non-mortgage debt. And with more on the latest numbers, we'll bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua. Ann. Thanks, Chris. According to a recent Equifax report, Canadian consumer debt reached $2.4 trillion, with credit card balances reaching an all-time high of just over $107 billion. Equifax says credit card spending has been consistently growing since the end of 2021 and is finally starting to slow. Still, fewer consumers have been able to pay off their credit card balances in full each month. While high monthly mortgage costs have made many consumers financially vulnerable, it's also non-mortgage debt that's taking a toll. Equifax found the average non-mortgage debt per credit active consumer in Canada is just over $21,000. BC was slightly higher at $21,765. Compare that to neighboring Alberta, which held the highest average non-mortgage debt at over $24,000. And among the Canadian cities, residents in Vancouver held average non-mortgage debt of around $22,000. Compare that to Toronto, which which was slightly lower at just over $20,000 in Montreal at $16,442. Fort McMurray had the highest non-mortgage debt at over $37,000. Now we can't make that shift to pay down the debt if we're actually having to use that money in other places, such as uh, adjusting for paying on a higher mortgage payment, so you came up for renewal, or adjusting for interest rates that have, or sorry, uh, inflation that has raised the cost of groceries. That money is not going towards paying down debts. It's going towards day-to-day -to -day living is really what it comes down. So at the end of the day, those debt levels are maybe just staying there. What I always suggest is um, take note of everything. Uh, and really what I'm talking about is creating a budget. Take a look at where you're spending your money on a day-to-day, month-to-month, or year-to-year basis. 
And in addition to making a budget, the Credit Counseling Society suggests you may also want to come up with a debt management plan to track your spending and identify areas to cut back, or you may consider debt consolidation. And if you feel overwhelmed with your finances, you can always speak with a credit counselor at the Society. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can reach me. Here's my email address at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Good advice. Thanks, Anne. The RCMP regimental funeral for fallen officer Constable Rick O'Brien will be held tomorrow in Langley. You can watch the entire procession and funeral service live on BC One. Our coverage will begin at 12.45 p.m. tomorrow, that's Wednesday, October the 4th, on BC One and online at globalnews.ca slash bc, also streaming live on YouTube. Just ahead, a former chief of police forced to confront a baffling health crisis. I felt uh, a numbness in my hands and feet. The onset of symptoms and the diagnosis that changed his life forever. Counterflow is out and traffic is steady in both directions over here at the Massey Tunnel. Though there is overnight road work southbound after the tunnel on the Delta side. Contact Kermac to, for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services and that's no accident. Police in Nanaimo are investigating a break and enter at a jewelry store where around $100,000 of jewelry was taken. Take a look at this video. It shows the aftermath of the break in at People's Jewelers in Woodgrove Center. It happened shortly after 3 in the morning Saturday. Thieves broke several glass cases and took their contents. Police were on the scene within minutes, but the suspects had already taken off. Security footage showed three individuals wearing dark clothing and hoods over their faces. Anyone with information is asked to contact Nanaimo RCMP. Micro-mobility company Lime says it wants to expand its presence in Metro Vancouver. The company currently offers public e-bikes and e-scooters in North Vancouver, Coquitlam, Richmond and Kelowna. Lime's CEO says it's now applying to operate in Surrey and will apply in Vancouver if the city opens a request for proposals. The rollout of e-bikes and e-scooters has been a bit bumpy in some communities with complaints about the devices being improperly parked or abandoned. But CEO Wayne Ting says the company requires users to park in the right places. We ask every single rider to take a picture of every single trip. And we review the picture uh, through both AI and humans. And if you're not parked correctly, we fine you. Uh, we send you a warning. And if you are a repeat offender, we kick you off the platform. And so by doing these things, both from a technology perspective, but also working with riders, we, um, I think we do a fantastic job of ensuring that uh, Lyme is parked correctly in the communities that we're in. New Westminster City Council recently passed a motion looking into speed limits for e-scooters. Ting says he agrees e-scooters should have speed limits and notes Lyme's devices have speed controls to keep people safe. Parents, children and advocates rallied outside the legislature today calling for more supports with ki for kids with dyslexia. Families say they're spending thousands to get their children the help they need. And as Global's Kylie Stanton reports, BC's education minister acknowledges there are gaps in the system. Holding their signs and heads up high. 
bravely sharing their stories. I actually grew up believing I was stupid. I was so angry at myself for not being able to be a better student, overwhelmed by a gut-wrenching feeling. I felt shamed by the teachers because they wouldn't help me. The goal is to put an end to this, what starts by simply saying dyslexia. The reality is without the label and without the word, my daughter simply wouldn't get the support that she needs. Parents and advocates are once again calling for changes to legislation that would allow for early detection, access to structured literacy in the classroom, and of course, funding. Parents themselves face a tremendous financial burden considering things the way they are right now systemically. Suffix ED. A private assessment can cost up to $4,000, and that's just for the diagnosis. Tutoring costs are about 500 to 1,000 a month. Some parents can't afford that. Honestly, our family has spent over $100,000. We need to deal with this. The event follows the release of the report on the budget 2024, where it was recommended the government support children with dyslexia across the province by funding structured literacy programs and mandatory screening for dyslexia starting in kindergarten. I had the opportunity to sit with the families today and uh, it is apparent that there are still barriers, there are gaps in our education system. Looking for ways, talking to these families, to our education partners, looking at ways how to address this issue. And she gave us an official proclamation to declare... The recognition of Dyslexia Awareness Week is being called a step in the right direction, a feeling their voices are finally being heard. So this is huge. And these stories are only just beginning. Thank you for being here today to learn about dyslexia. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Metro Vancouver's former transit police chief is opening up about a recent health scare he never saw coming. The rare disorder impacted his ability to swallow, to speak, and even to breathe. Janet Brown spoke to Dave Jones about the diagnosis that changed his life. Dave Jones retired this past Sunday as chief of Metro Vancouver Transit Police, spending 37 years altogether walking the beat. Now just walking the hallway of his home can be challenging. I was diagnosed with the Guillain-Barre uh, syndrome. Uh, it's a neurological issue that affects um, kind of your movement, your nervous system. It was exactly a month to the day he was to retire, August 30th, when he was on vacation in the southern interior and woke up with numbness in his hands and feet. You know, I attributed it at that time to just perhaps sleeping funny, uh, you know, getting a pinch in the neck or something of that nature. As his condition worsened, his wife took him to a hospital in Oliver, then decided to drive to Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster, where he was treated with a blood-based intravenous. Things just suddenly went real bad. I wasn't able to swallow, wasn't able to breathe. That point where I seriously asked the doctor or one of the medical staff in the room, if I was dying at that moment. The cause of Guillain-Barre syndrome is unknown, but many patients report symptoms of an infection in the weeks prior. But I did suffer a viral illness. We believe it was a food poisoning about 10 days prior. Guillain-Barre syndrome is an autoimmune disease that generally follows viral or bacterial infections of the respiratory tract or the gastrointestinal tract. The covering of nerves 
is essentially eaten away by antibodies. Guillain-Barre syndrome is a rare disorder impacting roughly 500 people a year in Canada. Miller-Fisher syndrome, what Jones had, is considered to be a variant of the Guillain-Barre syndrome. You must look back and think, wow, I can't believe I came through all that. I am, I am in a place that I didn't think I would ever get to at some point. I feel that I'm fortunate. Janet Brown, Global News. Coming up, BC's punk rock baker. So it's feeling like a H2O kind of day. The crazy creations that make this shop a Halloween favorite. And later in sports, the basketball bench boss from BC who guided Germany to an improbable world championship. Felt like fall around here today, didn't it? But not everywhere. Mm-hmm. No. Not that I want to rub this in, but look at the temperatures back east, everyone. Once we drop the banner, you'll see Toronto hitting 30 degrees, 31 in through Ottawa and Quebec, 25. In fact, parts of Ontario had a heat warning in effect earlier today. It's ended now, but we'll likely see more be issued because this isn't just today. They're expecting that heat again tomorrow. Meanwhile, just to make it a little easier for you to handle, we are also going to see sunshine over the next little while. So these are the daytime highs for areas near the water. Saturday, we're expecting 20 degrees, but areas away from the water could hit 25 degrees. And it's that time of year where we do get these large swings in temperature. We get that in the springtime as well. But from about some areas only warmed up to 15 degrees today. And then if we see that 25 degrees away from the water on Saturday, wow, what a swing. And then another plunge in temperature beyond that. Now, the Dry weather, of course, will be really nice. We need the rainfall, and I wanted to point out officially as of today, we have zero fires of note, which is great. We still have hundreds of fires burning, though. We need to continue to have that improvement in terms of rainfall. Now, for tonight, though, we've got a few showers that will shift into the Columbia region. Shushwap will see that as well, but overall, that's going to shift out and dry out. It's really just the north and central coast that will see rainfall for tomorrow. But for Metro Vancouver, we will still see cloud cover tomorrow and expect it to be sort of a cloudy, drizzly morning tomorrow before brightens up in the afternoon. Same for those of you in the interior regions. A little bit more cloud cover earlier in the day. So highs will range from 15 to 16 degrees. Tomorrow staying cool, but it's Thursday, Friday, and Saturday that we'll start to see temperatures warm up. Sunday is when we could see rainfall, but it's still a little uncertain whether that rain will push in on Sunday or we may catch a bit of sunshine uh, earlier in the day on Sunday. Tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from uh, Mount McGuire. So there's this is looking towards some other peaks. Uh, from the summit of Mount McGuire. Alex uh, capturing this beautiful shot. Uh, this is sort of some of the peaks on the BC Alberta, uh, sorry, BC US border. Back to you mm. too. Beautiful shot. Thanks, Christy. All right, Squire's here now, and you've got a story about sort of like a local connection to the World Basketball Championships in uh, Germany? <laughs> yes. How does it all come together? Well, I will tell you how to fit that <laughs> puzzle together. Penticton's Gordy Herbert was the coach of Germany. And they won the World Cup of Basketball this summer. And his team reminded him of his two favorite all-time Canucks. Our team of players this year in Germany reminded me of the Sneed Twins. Um, great players, even better people. He learned the game in BC and made Germany a surprise winner at the World Cup. Very cool. Also coming up. Just be who you want to be. 
punk pastries. A Burnaby Baker taking inspiration from the music she loves. Getting closer and closer to hockey season. Here's Squire with sports. Next week it's real, uh, but the Canucks are playing Seattle in Abbotsford tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. I'm told there are still tickets available. And what you're going to see from the Canucks is pretty much their NHL roster. However, no Elias Patterson. He won't play tomorrow. Apparently he is sick. It doesn't look like anything more than that. And of course, the one thing at this year's Canucks training camp and also throughout the preseason is Rick Tockett trying to teach his way of doing things. Now that takes time and it's not quite there yet, but Rick says it is closer. I, I thought the last four or five practices have probably been our best. Um, you know, opening up the playbook a little bit so you know, sometimes you're going to have some wrong reads and stuff. So we're okay with that, but I still believe that Playing five on five in practice right now, we need a lot more of that. Um, and not be so robotic. You know, sometimes you want a strong side play, and that's all we do. So we got to, that's the next thing for us is don't be so robotic. We're too robotic. Don't be Mr. Roboto. So in Minnesota, game one, Twins and Blue Jays today, best of three. First round playoff series. Royce Lewis was once the first pick overall in the Major League Draft back in 2017. Shows why twice today he hits home runs. The first was a two-run shot. This is solo. Now, the Twins had lost 18 consecutive playoff games, stretching all the way back to 2004. So I think they were kind of overdue. And this doesn't help. Bo Bichette should have stopped at third. Tries the score. Great play by Carlos Correa. They would get one run, but that's it. Blue Jays lose game one, 3-1. Now, one of the big reasons... Germany surprised everybody by winning this year's World Cup of Basketball was a coach who first learned how to play basketball in the Okanagan. Gordy Herbert's basketball journey as a coach had him once been an assistant for the Raptors, but now he's a hero in Germany, having led their national team to a world championship. Germany have done it! They have conquered the world! Gordy Herbert deserves a lot of applause. A lot of applause indeed for a basketball lifer who was born and raised in Penticton and made Germany's national basketball team world champions in just his second year at the helm. It's a golden moment that a month later still hasn't fully set in. What a scene. You know, it was very surreal, but uh, um, emotionally it took a little while to sink in what we really did, but um, I've tried to enjoy it and uh, as I told the players, people have asked me about the Olympics next summer, and I said, we're not talking about it. Hey, just enjoy this. This is a, a lifetime moment. Let's enjoy it. And Gordy Herbert, uh, Canadian, played for Canada at the Olympics, has actually coached Canada, but Germany is kind of his basketball home. Herbert has spent the better part of three decades coaching overseas, this after a 12-year professional playing career in Finland. He's won a hardwood championship in France, another one in Germany, and has also been named Coach of the Year in the Bundesliga. But he's never forgotten his Canadian and Penticton Lakers high school basketball roots. He's Canadian through and through. You win the gold, people watch the success you had. Who did you hear from? Um, no, I heard from um, Coach K, Ken Shields, um, you know, players I played with on the, on the Canadian national team, uh, Coach Fred Fedoric, who coached me when I was in um, in, Penn, in Penn High in Penticton so 
It was, it was pretty neat to hear from a lot of old people. Hey, we can screen, come off. Hey, 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 I can back screen, come off. Are you a player's coach? How would you describe your style? Um, I'm more of a player's coach now. I don't raise my voice at all anymore. Maybe one, t one time I did. But um, I, used to, I used to yell and scream a lot, no more. Um, you know, I, I think you can demand. You can hold people accountable without yelling and screaming. Down the boards, Hughes in front, Kuzmenko shoots, he scores! Gordy saves his yelling for cheering on his hometown Vancouver Canucks. He's been a lifelong fan and rises in the early hours to watch them play. He's also proud to say that as a child, he was a better hockey player than hoops. Watching a game in person, just one of the things that he misses about his home and native land. I miss the fishing, salmon fishing. I miss watching hockey live instead of waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning and watching it. <laughs> That's a fan. Uh, they used to be the hated rival when the Grizzlies were here, but those days unfortunately are gone. And now the Toronto Raptors feel right at home in what once was Grizzly country. So much so, they are holding training camp in Burnaby, the eighth time they've held training camp in B.C. Uh, it's awesome. Uh, it's, uh, I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, Toronto is, uh, Raptors are not the team that just belong to the city, but the whole uh, country of Canada. And it's, uh, it's a great privilege to be over here, to experience for our guys, for coaching staff, for everybody to experience Vancouver. This is my first time over here. Went for a walk last night. This is a beautiful city. I said it before, it almost feels like a dream that Vancouver was once in the NBA. It was yeah. a good so long ago, yeah, it was, but it's all, it almost seems like it didn't happen or we're just dreaming it, but it was real for a while. Sure was. Hard to wake up from that one. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Squire. Up next, from punk rocker to pastry chef, the BC Baker putting out some hardcore delicacies. This is BC is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. 50 years of trust in your community. Jordan Armstrong is here with a preview of what's coming up tonight on the News at 11. Jordan? Chris, nearly three-quarters of a billion dollars. That is a rough estimate from the Insurance Bureau of Canada on the cost of this summer's fires in the Okanagan and Shuswap regions. They believe it's the most costly insured event in B.C. history. We'll tell you how it ranks nationally tonight at 11. Also, multiple agencies, including WorkSafe BC, are investigating that industrial accident at Cypress Bowl we told you about a bit earlier. We're awaiting further details, and we'll have the latest at 11. Chris? All right, hoping, from, hoping for the best there. Thanks very much, Jordan. Now, a warning that our next story may not be suitable for all viewers. It's what happens when a former punk rock bassist becomes a baker. Her amazing and, let's be honest, sometimes creepy creations are perfect for Halloween, and her customers can't get enough. Jay Durant visits Punk Rock Pastries on This Is BC. So it's feeling like a H2O kind of day. A little music at work to bring the kitchen to life. I know, wait, I've got the zombie one. <laughs> Holly Fraser's injecting some punk spirit into all of her pastries. All of these bands, they tell you, be yourself. Don't worry about what other people think of you, just be who you want to be. Her Burnaby Bakery comes with a warning. Gonna have haters, but that's totally fine with us. We still do what we want to do and everybody seems to love it. Last Halloween, we reloaded, like restocked the store eight times. A successful shop that eventually came decades down the road. Rise Against, uh, these guys, I've been listening to them since from day one. 
Music was the initial dream when she was a teen. We had a band, we had an all-girl punk band. We didn't really get very far. <laughs> there was a couple of gigs that we had. Her creative calling can be found in elaborate edible art, and orders keep coming in from some of her favorite groups. Um, I've been able to meet some of my amazing idols. Uh, it's been absolutely insane. Also making custom creations for famous clientele like actor Joel McHale and Alice Cooper's band. Thank you to Punk Rock Pastry for making these lovely things. We got a signed autograph photo of Alice and I sent it to my dad back home in Australia. This is the face of my nightmares. Fraser's skill has landed her a spot on the latest Halloween baking championship. It was insane. I've never baked in a kitchen like that before. It was a great experience. Right in the midst of the busiest time of year, when that talent and personality can really shine through. I've worked in five-star restaurants, I've helped people open their businesses, worked in smaller bakeries, and I've always had to do what other people want to do. I've never been able to be my creative self, so me applying my punk attitude to my you know, baked goods is my way of being me, and I'm just being my true self. Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell, just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. Did the clown get you, Squire? No, no, I'm not freaked out by clowns. I just find it interesting how over the years they have become freaky to so many people. That's true. Well, we that... blame it on Stephen King and the movie It? I think it was before yeah, that. So. Poltergeist. Oh, yeah, Poltergeist for sure. That clown was next level. And I'm dating myself, okay. by the way, with that movie. But look it up, kids. Well, me too. <laughs> Last word before we go, eight seconds. So cloud, a little bit of drizzle tomorrow morning, but brighter and drier later on. Sounds good. All right, thanks, Christy. Thanks for watching, everyone. Have a great night. Good night, all.